Lisa call it looked like Tarzan played like Jimmy. We used to see these dudes in their bench in like 600, big chest, everything come out, and you would hit the dude and he would crumble into a million little pieces. Hey folks, welcome back. This is Brandon Mark Devine with the Unbeatable Mind Podcast, and I'm here at Sealfit headquarters this time with my friend John Wellborn. Who, um, if you're watching the video, you can see is a monster of a man and f- former NFL player. A couple teams, we'll get into that. And founder of CrossFit Football, founder of Power Athlete, and doing some great work with athletes all around in functional fitness, strength, mental toughness, all that. So we're going to have a really cool conversation. But before we get into the, the, the juice, let me remind you to go to iTunes to rate this podcast, please. And I keep saying that the reason for that is so other people who don't know about us or haven't heard about us can find the podcast and be surprised pleasantly, hopefully, when they search for Tim Ferriss and all of a sudden there's the Unveil Mind podcast with it's five a good star name. ratings. It's a good yeah, name. thanks, I know. Yeah. So John, thanks for making the trek down yeah, here. Thank you Super very much. Good to see you. Like I said earlier, we I remember vividly because uh, you're a hard guy to forget, oh. right? Because you, you, know, you, well, it's you my, take uh, up a lot of sparkling personality. Sparkling personality and the fact that most my great of the dance oxygen, moves. Most of the oxygen in the room gets sucked out <laughs> when you walked in. Like, <laughs> those monstrous lungs of yours. 2009 or so, yep. at a Rob Wolf Nutrition Seminar up at your gym, yep. which at the time was called? CrossFit Balboa. That's right, CrossFit Balboa. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gosh, you know, we've all come a long way since then. Sure. Before we get into kind of like, you know, tactics and strategies for training and nutrition and mental toughness, whatever it is that we're going to talk about, which frankly I have no idea yet because we're just going to see what comes up. I appreciate that. Um, let's talk about you and like where you came from, how you got involved in football, and then the transition to professional life. And I, I particularly want to talk about that really awesome uh, video of the CrossFit Games. <laughs> oh. <that>? oh, <laughs> the road you, to the Games. Oh, the uh, every second counts. Yeah, every second oh, counts. That fuck. was it. <laughs> Well, I still have a smile on my face. When I yeah, I'll, uh, I'll work back to that one. But uh, <laughs> no, I grew up here in Southern California from a young age. I, you know, did martial arts and fought, and I was kind of into the fighting stuff and boxing. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to high school, my brothers told me that all the cool kids play football, so I didn't want to be uncool. No, so I went not. out and played football, and it was pretty good experience because it was like fighting against a bunch of people that had no idea to fight. I remember the first day this kid came running me with his hands down and I remember I hit him and the coach was like, great job. And I was like, sure, I could be all right. I get to hit people. (laughs) Yeah. You get to lift weights, you get to go out and hit. And uh, I just kind of gravitated towards it. And, you know, I was fairly tall and skinny and I just started lifting weights and I had uh, some really good, you know, introduction to the strength game with a guy named George Zangus, who was a old power lifter who invented Mm -hmm. actually the super suits and the wraps. Oh, is that right? And so I used to train in his garage and that's where I really got into lifting weights and, you know, nutrition. And he, he was a you know, great historian of training, not mm-hmm. only barbell stuff, but all mm-hmm. types of training. Mm-hmm. And so we learned about, you know, this thing that Vince Garanda talked about called the Stone Age diet, mm-hmm. which is a lot like the paleo diet. It's a lot, sounds so a lot like the paleo I, diet. I remember too. when I met Rob Wolf, he uh, started talking about the paleo diet and I was like, where you been, dude? This is how we've eaten for a long time. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, basic barbell training and, uh, you know, using that for football. And from there I graduated, um, you know, grew up in Palos Verdes up in Los Angeles. Was Uh, that something that uh, like the high school team you were on was doing or this, uh, you were doing it on the side? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well we actually were such crazy kids that we would uh, lift weights at lunch, lift weights at school, and then leave there and go to a 24 hour fitness. So we were actually training three times a day. 
That's and did that like pretty much seven Navy days a week. Training. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the, the more is better philosophy. Right, exactly. With no idea what we were doing. We're like ripping out programs out of Flex Magazine. The Dorian Yates back routine for the Mr. Olympia was like our go-to workout. <laughs> so, I mean, there was no internet. Like, there was no way. I mean, you know, I mean, there was no programs. I mean, right, right, you know. Right. It, it, it was like, all trial and error. You yeah. see what worked and what didn't. Yeah, and we yeah. get hurt and like, that was stupid. We can't do that. Not right. realizing that we were doing programs that were meant for professionals, right. you know, high-level bodybuilders, and we were just basic amateurs and beginners. Right. And so there was a huge maturation process with that and really understanding mm -hmm. and um, from there I, I got a scholarship to go to UC Berkeley nice. and okay. went to Berkeley um, got there and had a you know another really two good very good strength coaches and a guy named Todd Rice where I got into Olympic lifting mm -hmm. and started learning more about dynamic training and speed work and Olympic lifting and mm -hmm. rate of force and power production and a lot of the things you see in my power athlete training program mm -hmm. was really you know I cut my teeth in that early in those early days got it. and then uh, Graduated there in four years, got my master's and my fifth. You played ball there too? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I played at UC yeah. Berkeley. Right. So, uh, but I graduated early, worked on my master's, and then got drafted second pick in the fourth round of the Philadelphia Eagles. Okay. Came in and started as a rookie and um, had a really interesting opportunity where I came in and I started as a rookie. And at the end of the first half of my first NFL game, I ended up rupturing my patellar tendon. Oh, no. What, so, what was your position? What, what? Uh, offensive line. I played, guard, uh, I played guard and tackle. I was playing tackle that so game. So you put on a, a significant amount of weight. Let's go back to your training days. So you said you were a skinny kid. So Tall yeah, but skinny. I what are you, 6'3", six six maybe? No, I'm 6'6". Six six. You're 6'6". Six six. So okay. I, I was six foot, about 165 pounds when I was 14. Okay. And I started lifting weights, and I got up to about 200, 225. And I was probably about 245, 250 when okay. I left high school. Got it. And then uh, I was probably, when I left college, probably about 305, 310 pounds. And then I played most of my NFL career, about 300, 310. Jesus. So. Okay. So you were offensive line of the Eagles, and you ruptured. Patellar tendon. Patellar tendon. Okay. Yeah, so they cart me off the field, cut off my pants, and I remember the doc looks down, and my like, kneecap is sitting where my VMO is. Uh -oh. And the doc was like, that's real bad. And I'm like, well, how bad is it? And he's like, well, we've never seen anybody come back from a ruptured patellar tendon. Uh oh, right. And I like, look over, my parents are there. They're so excited, first start. And like, I see like, the tears stroll down my dad's face. And I'm like, oh, fuck. So they put me in uh, surgery that night, stitched my knee up, three weeks in bed, three months before they really, really let me bend my knee, and I had to rehab back. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was pretty... The Eagles keep you on through this? Point? Yeah, yeah. I, I was, uh, you know, had a contract with them. I was on injured reserve. And they were, you know, they can't cut you while you're injured. Now, once I got back on the field and I proved I was healthy, then they could cut you. Right. But um, <laughs> I came back in and played and, you know, rehabbed, and it was really pretty... Like you want to talk about like one of the most darkest, most difficult experiences of my life because I got the injury, you know, had been a starter in the NFL as a rookie, started my very first game, get injured, be told that you're never going to play football mm -hmm. again, you're never going to walk, and now I'm rehabbing back. You know, I'm from California in Philadelphia in the middle of the winter, mm -hmm. and um, the only thing I could think of is like, I just want to train for life. I just mm -hmm. want to get back to normal. Yeah, yeah. And I remember for six months, I made zero gains. Mm -hmm. Like my, you know, I, when I ruptured my patellar tendon, I tore the retinaculum, tore all the nerves. And I couldn't get my leg to move. I couldn't mm -hmm. get my quad to fire. I couldn't do anything. And so mm -hmm. I started getting on the phone and calling doctors and mm -hmm. figuring out different training programs. And actually, uh, I started incorporating some really cool methods into my training that really just switched everything on and got them to go. And actually, mm -hmm. ironically, well, one of them was EMS, mm -hmm. which is the electric muscle stimulation, no like, like the power dot like units. Power dot, yeah. yeah, but the ones that we had to get were like from like the eBay in the UK that some dude was making right. in his garage. And if right. you got wet, you were probably going to electrocute it. Right, right. 
And all that knowledge came through Charlie Francis, who was Ben Johnson's sprint coach. Okay. Who was, you know, world, you know, and his name's tainted because of Ben Johnson testing positive. But Charlie Francis is a, you know, he's since passed away, but a genius. And we really mm -hmm. follow a lot of his training and he was mm -hmm. big in the EMS. Mm -hmm. So I went back and read that and contacted different people. And the guy that I was working with at the time was an EMS guy. Mm -hmm. And so using that and then just really understanding training. So let, let's talk about that. So the electrical stim is just bringing blood flow and, and. No. So what happens is, is uh, you attach pads right uh, and everywhere the pad touches fires motor units right okay. and that indiscriminate firing of motor units is just you know based off of the intensity is how hard they fire mm -hmm. but the frequency of the unit will dictate which motor unit fires mm -hmm. so obviously the higher the frequency a 110 120 will fire type 2x fibers the mm -hmm. lower ones will fight you know mm -hmm. type 1 type 2 type a b mm -hmm. fibers mm -hmm. Got it. so i was able to go through and start using this and actually retrained my muscles to fire and mm -hmm. actually ended up getting some like great neural connectivity with it right and that really helped me get back on and that's why I'm such a big proponent and uh, uh, you know user of EMS and we use it in all of our training that's terrific so you're still with the Eagles they yep. didn't cut you because no, you showed well, some progress uh, or you you know they were afraid of you or something like that no no I, I, I came back and I went to training camp and um, in the offseason, I'd started right tackle they had signed a free agent to about a 10 million dollar a year contract at Jesus. right tackle and so I remember they signed the dude and I'm like all right, I guess they don't expect me to come back. Right. And so I show up to training camp and they have me as like the third string left tackle. Hmm. And I'm like, I'm so far down the depth chart, dude, I was on the second page. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, like looking around being like, oh, and I remember calling my parents. I'm like, you know what? My knee's better. I'm doing okay. But like, I'm probably not going to be here very long. Right. And then just on a stroke of luck, the guy who was the starter at right tackle, the high price free agent, ends up tearing a rib muscle in practice. Stroke of luck for you, not him. Well, <laughs> ironically. <laughs> and so the guy who was his backup goes in and they needed a, a position and they were like, well, hey, John, didn't you used to play right tackle? Mm -hmm. I was like, fucking assholes. So I go over and I'm the backup right tackle now. And lo and behold, that guy ends up doing poorly. And then they elevated me to right tackle. And I went out and ended up playing really well, went to the preseason and did really well. And we, we go to the very first preseason game and I'm starting, you know, regain my position with this guy's injury. And uh, I go against the first pick in the NFL draft. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all like national media is on him. This is his mm -hmm. first deal. Mm -hmm. And I go out there and I handled his ass pretty well. Mm -hmm. You know, shut him down. Didn't, you know, didn't even sniff the ball carrier, which is to be expected for a rookie. Yeah, right. And, but, you know, people put a lot of stress on these guys, you know, oh, the second coming. Right. And so um, I go on the media, you know, after the, after the game and I'm sitting in my locker and the media's all around me and they're like, you know, are you upset that they paid, you know, <laughs> so and so, so, and 10, so million, $10 million yeah. when you clearly were able to come back and win your position. And my comment was like, that guy's, you know, really skilled player. He's really good. Have you seen him? He's a beast. I mean, I'd pay him $10 million. Like, he's a better player than I am. Mm -hmm. And like, instantly diffused the media who was looking for some form of like, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. controversy. And, um, you know, the GM there, he comes over, he's like, thanks, dude. You really helped me out on that one. You made, you made me almost look like an asshole. I'm like, well, it's the truth. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that the truth in the NFL and like most places is not really what people want to hear, mm -hmm, you know, whereas I figured it was always easier just to tell the truth and be honest, but mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't fucking jive real well. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden he comes back, they put me as the backup and uh, I'm just kind of just hanging out, waiting for my opportunity. And we had a, you know, get back to practice. We're in double days and all of a sudden we're in a drill and the guy who's playing left guard, who was actually drafted my same year, the, the round ahead of me ends up getting blown up in a run drill. You know, gets driven in the back, uh, backfield, big tackle, everybody's celebrating. And uh, he's pissed. Coaches are yelling at him. Same play again. He gets driven back, same play. Hmm. And all of a sudden, the head coach, Andy Reid, 
screaming at him, turns and starts looking around. And like, I just happened to be standing there and not at the water. And he looks and he was like, John, go in there and play. I'm like, all right. And so all of a sudden, cool. I realized in that little bit of walk, it was like, you know, and I, and I, we've talked about this. I got a whole blog post about this thing and I've told this story before, but I called it my eight mile moment, mm -hmm. which is funny because it was actually before the Eminem movie come out. It was a sense later that we called it eight mile, but like that one opportunity mm -hmm. where I was like walking up there where, and I'm sure you guys have all had similar feels where like you can trace things back to just yeah. one moment in one your life. Decision, one moment. One yeah. Action, one decision. Yeah. And how many people are globally aware, cognizant of, of their surroundings enough of what's going on and not just heat of the moment to actually mm -hmm. take a step back and be like, yeah. This is my moment. Yeah. If I if I do well here, it will send me one way. If I don't, I'm going to go the other way. Mm -hmm. And walking over there, I knew I was like, I got to light this dude up. Yes. I got to win this. So we get down and uh, they call the play, same play. And literally, I just gave everything I had and ended up lighting that dude up, driving the dude down. We went off for a big run, blew the whistle, play dead. Everything's over. So they blew the whistle. We moved in the next drill. So they call up. It's a pass drill. I'm still standing in the back. That start, the guy that was starter runs back up there. And I'm sitting there watching. Very first play. Shake, move, swim, sack, gets beat. Andy Reid, get his fucking ass out of there. Put me in, and I play tackle. So playing guard uh, after you play tackle is like a cakewalk. Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm out there playing, and I'm good at pass pro. And after the deal, I walked over and said, this move's permanent. You're in, and I went to start there for the next X amount of years. That's cool. And so I beat that guy out who was actually a good friend of my best friend and yeah. drafted the round ahead of me same year. And he was my backup for the next number of years. Mm -hmm. And then I left there, went to the Kansas City Chiefs mm -hmm. and played why, there. Why did you do that? What was the you know, I got into a contract move? dispute. I had hurt my knee and they needed me to play. And I said to him, hey, no problem. I'll, uh, I'll play. But uh, I need you to, to at least do something for me in terms of giving me some more money, mm -hmm. maybe in the off season because they wouldn't give me a workout bonus. Uh, something, you know, just kick me something, you know, like you guys are asking me to get cut on a Monday and play on a Sunday when I'm obviously not ready to play, like compensate me. And so I went out and played. We went to the NFC championship game, uh, end up barely missing it, not going to the Super Bowl. I go in at the end of the season and they were like, go fuck yourself. Mm. And I was like, all right, fuck me. Fuck you. And I was, uh, I should have realized at the time that, you know, that's just the way shit goes. And, right. you know, you just, you know, keep your mouth shut and get back in line. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, had a little bit of pride about me and, you know, made some dumb comments and ended up getting traded. <laughs> so stupid. Yeah. Cause I, I, I figured I'm like, fuck, I'm a, you know, was one of the top rated guys in my position. I was high of the world, just came off all these, you know, you know, NFC championship games were kicking ass. I mean, dude, I'm at like the highest level and they shipped me off and I didn't think they could send me to a worse place. And they did. They sent me to Kansas city. So they which, traded you or did you, did you have any saying no, that? No. And I should have walked. Football's I mean, a strange world. It, it really is. is. It is. Uh, I should have walked. I should have not signed, but my agent gave me some bad advice. He was like, Hey, go in here, start to pay you. So if you had walked, then you would become a free agent again? No, I don't know what would have happened. They probably would have brought me in and cut me. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I mean, we would have seen. But I, and then I went in and like a good little soldier and went and played for Kansas City. And their owner and their general manager said, we're not repaying you. We're going to fuck you over for what you said to that other guy. So Interesting. Yeah. So pro football is an extremely dirty game. It sounds like doggy dog. Mm -hmm. Jeez, and but, that, but that was years ago. Has it changed at all? Has it gotten uh, better? I don't know. I mean, I, I think of anything. You know, I had a guy ask me recently, you know, about the NFL. They're like, oh, it seems like people are bigger and stronger and faster in the game. And I'm like, no, mm -hmm. not at all. Mm -hmm. The game that I played in where I retired in 2009 was, I think, the peak of the NFL. And what you see now is something that's 
What's changed about it? The, the ferocity and the violence of the game has been greatly reduced mm. through, you know, uh, systematic, because, you know, guys are getting hurt. You got guys yeah. committing suicide. And TBI, guys are, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, guys are messed up. Mm-hmm. And I think they, they saw the writing on the wall, but, I mean, you know, there were big hits. I mean, people were getting hit left and right, and there was, you know, I mean, we, you know, that was part of the deal. Yeah. And I think they had to go in and make a change. And yeah. uh, I think where they really messed up was um, in the last CBA, which is the collective bargaining agreement, if they would have gone in and just given all the ex-players, anybody that had played longer than three years in the NFL, lifetime medical, mm-hmm. and taken care of all these guys, none of this is what you would have seen with concussions would have ever happened. Mm-hmm. Because what happened is, is the owners were so adamant about not giving medical and not taking care of these guys that they ended up filing lawsuits. Right, which costs, and, them, costs them a heck of a lot more. Yeah, and it, it, it will eventually cost them pro football. Mm-hmm. Because parents won't want to put their child up on the altar to sacrifice him to the football gods. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then all of a sudden that'll dwindle. They'll have to change it, and the game will resemble something like it used to be. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, it's all going to happen because they were greedy and didn't want to give. You know. I think a couple years ago the, the, the number I read was uh, in the last 20 years, less than 15,000 guys played in the NFL. Less than 1,000 played longer than four years. No shit. So you're not talking about it. So, yeah. All you would have had to do was write insurance and, and guarantee a for your yeah. couple thousand people, uh, less yeah. than a thousand people, maybe a thousand people, right. and they just didn't want to do it. You know, the owners are—it's dollars and cents. I mean, it's a—it's a big business. I mean, they—I mean, they're—you know, five hundred one c three status. Mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty—it's interesting. But yeah. you know, but what what the NFL has done a really good job of if they've effectively spent millions upon millions upon millions of dollars to weave football into America's culture mm-hmm. to where people don't even realize it's a business. Yeah, oh, yeah. this is what we do Sunday, Monday, whole deal. So it's. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've done a great job. Mm-hmm. So you played for how, six years-ish? No, 10 years. 10 years. And then I got hurt in my 10th year. Okay. And you, did you have, feel any effects of the, the clashes, you know, in uh, you know, TBI or yeah. PTSD or anything like that? Um, no, you, you know what? Uh, PTSD is pretty interesting. I sat yeah. through a whole deal on PTSD. And PTSD is more this idea, and I'm sure you guys know more about yeah. it than I do. Yeah. Like, why don't more SEALs have PTSD? It's so resilient when they go in. They train for it. Yeah, you and train for it. it. And, and they have some recovery mechanisms, too. Yeah. And once they get out and they come back from deployment, yeah. they're right back into the fight. They're right back into it. Yeah. yeah, like you guys are into the office. You're training. You're always on the worst no, uh, next workup. I think where guys get PTSD is when they, you know, the fight's over and you come back and now what do I have? Yeah. yeah. You know, so I, I remember, like, seeing the levels of PTSD and some of the problems in the SEAL team community didn't really exist because guys don't have enough time to sit around and think about the stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, they're right back in it. And mm-hmm. for me, I never... I never had any time to. I mean, I literally got hurt in New England, came home, had knee surgery, and while I was recovering on the couch of my knee in the CPM was when CrossFit hit me up about doing the CrossFit football stuff. Mm-hmm. And I pretty much we started doing the CrossFit football stuff. Mm-hmm. Teams called for me to work out, and I was like, I'm good. I'm going to do this other thing. Yeah. I think this CrossFit thing is going to get pretty big. So had you started CrossFit already? I mean, how did, how did uh, Glassman, how did you guys hook up? Uh, I was... Um, so I live in Orange County, yeah. and I was driving up to Carson every day to train at Athletes Performance, which is, yeah. as you know, driving the 405 freeway. It might be yeah. four or five hours, depending mm-hmm. on what time you leave. Right. And I just got tired of it. So I got online, and I uh, found a CrossFit gym local to me, mm-hmm. and went up there and started training. And, and whose uh, gym was that? Uh, CrossFit Anaerobic. Or no, okay. no, I'm sorry, CrossFit, uh, CrossFit Newport Beach. Okay. So um, uh, Melissa Mentz yeah. and Brian McKenzie, mm-hmm. uh, his ex-wife's gym. And so I went up there and started training. And one of my buddies who was doing CrossFit up in L.A. was like, oh, you should go to one of the seminars. 
Mm -hmm. So I just signed up for one of the seminars mm -hmm. and didn't really ever know anything about it. Mm -hmm. And then just happened to show up to Santa Cruz to a little, you know, CrossFit HQ mm -hmm. for the seminar. And I just thought it was, we were coming to learn. I didn't realize we we're going to work out. Next thing you know, people are like <laughs> stripping we, down. We all made that mistake. I, I, I was wearing jeans and basketball <laughs> shoes. And all of a sudden these people are like nuding up to like, in like 40 degree weather. I'm like holding a coffee. I'm like, what the fuck are these people doing? Right. Like they're like warming up. Everybody's like. You fucking, get ready to do friend. You're like. Oh, dude, we went on like a five mile run. Like through the mountains and did like Tabata everything and then sprinted back and I was like, <gasps> okay, that was a good workout. They're like, okay, let's fight on bad. And I'm like, fight on who? So it was pretty funny. Yeah, those early certs were just oh, brutal, they, they, they? Yeah, they were just fist fight. Let me throw my workouts at us. Right. Yeah. Um, so the, and, and then I, I left there and I realized that there was a lot of the methodology made sense, but there was a lot of stuff that didn't make sense for me. Right. You know, and you start looking at yeah. creating well, general, general physical conditioning. Yeah. You whereas gotta, I'm, you got to take looking, that and apply it to the sport specific. Yeah. Which is the SPP, which is right. where I, I come in. Right. And I tried to do some general, include general CrossFit stuff. But mm -hmm. anytime you start pushing out the, the time domains, mm -hmm. you start having a fast twitch or a conversion a fast switch to slow twitch muscle fiber yeah. or you'll just burn out yeah and so all of a sudden um you know i started adding more crossfit typical cr uh, traditional crossfit into my training and it adverse it did not affect it, it affected my speed in a negative way mm -hmm. and then i realized when i went out to go play for the uh patriots all the mistakes i had made and when i came home i realized i will never allow anybody else to make that mistake so I guinea pigged myself and then I started offering programming that was short, hard and heavy and fast mm -hmm. and, um, you know, made a bunch of bad motherfuckers over the course of a bunch of years. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, and then from that, it was crazy. I remember we launched across the football and I got like 17,000 hits that first day mm -hmm. and I got like 400 emails. I remember that. And, I remember yeah. when you launched it. Actually, Dude, it, it was crazy. It was like I, cool, yeah. I got that like, first day, like 400 emails and like I was getting like four and 500 emails mm -hmm. and I sat down and responded to every one of them. Of course. Yeah. Right. Cause you're like, <laughs> that's, people, what you you do, that's what you do, right? <laughs> it's your baby. Of course you do. That. And, uh, and then like somebody was like, Dude, you, you can't do this. So I started, um, my blog talked to me, Johnny. Did you start with a seminar too, or just to start the website and the free wads and nope. then? Yeah, I, I started it and it got such a great deal. Um, CrossFit's like, you need a seminar. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't know anything about how to create a seminar. Right. And yeah. so what I did is I hit up some really good friends and brought them in. Uh, Rafael Ruiz, who was my strength coach, who okay. trained me for the majority of my NFL career. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Kelly Starrett and some mm -hmm. other people. And we mm -hmm. came in and we actually designed our, uh, the seminar. And mm -hmm. it's really evolved from that first time mm -hmm. up into what we teach now, which is mm -hmm. this idea of how to increase athleticism. Right. So my whole deal about, you know, forging powerful athletes, you know, really creating the power athlete was this idea I had to start with something like how do you create athleticism? Right. And, uh, you know, CrossFit went down the road of, you know, let's quantify and improve fitness. My deal is, you know, I believe, you know, fitness on the time continuum is effectively a cup that you mm -hmm. can fill. Mm -hmm. Is there, you know, think about the fittest you were in your life. Could you get more fit? Mm -hmm. But athleticism is something that's continual that you mm -hmm. can continue to always develop athleticism mm -hmm. if you can identify it and then find out ways to improve upon mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So that's really what we're focused on is this idea of athleticism and basically making better movers, more athletic people. Because so, I believe so, all things equal, the best athlete will always be more dominant. Yeah, no, I agree with that. So does someone coming to, to what is still called CrossFit football as soon as going to be called something uh, yeah, else? And, yeah, like, so we're, we're actually going through a rebranding. Yeah. Uh, you know, CrossFit, I, 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 like when CrossFit started, it was this little you know, gym entity yeah. idea. Now yeah. it's grown into this global brand. And I think the idea that there's seminars that have CrossFit in it that aren't necessarily teaching functional movements performed at high intensity probably dilutes their brand in some way. Right. Yeah. So CrossFit football will morph into, you know, especially seminar about 
sports-specific training. Still offered through CrossFit as a special yes. seminar, yeah. like Kelly's is. Okay. Yeah. yeah, similar. So, so someone coming to your seminar is expected to have the GPP and the foundation and the functional movements and all that, or, or yeah. can someone come off the street and well, not yeah, know how to air squat? Yeah, I mean, we've yeah. for the most part, we don't really get those people. Right. We, we mainly get like strength coaches and people that are searching more. Like We talk about the life cycle. People, their first day, people they find... People who are going to coach and mentor football yeah. athletes or... Or, 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 or just even athletes. CrossFitters. Like, we'll find people that are two or three. Like We, we, we don't get... The like the fresh recruit, like, you know, the person that finds CrossFit, oh my God, it's the best thing since sliced bread, and I need to go to a seminar. We don't get those people. We get right. the people that have been through the cycle yeah. that are two or three, four, five years down the road right. that are, you know, what we call the life cycle of this. Mm-hmm. Like, we get those people that are looking for performance training, that are looking for a way to work with their athletes. Maybe they've got hit up by a high school or college team. Mm-hmm. I mean, something to allow them, mm-hmm. you know, a strength conditioning seminar that they can use to Round increase performance. Yeah, okay. Not just you know, 400 meter run, 50 air squats, and hoping to God that'll increase your football ability. Right. So can you describe the, um, the core essence of the seminar? It's a two-day seminar? You yes, run? it's a two-day yeah. seminar. So what, what types of things you do, and what are, you, what are the objectives for that? Really, our, our deal is uh, we, we start with uh, defining athleticism. Mm-hmm. And so the ability to seamlessly and effortlessly combine primal movement patterns through space to accomplish a known or novel task is my definition of athleticism. And what primal movement patterns are... And so a novel task would be something that, no. like, Kobe invents on the fly. Or maybe something like, hey, uh, let's go play horse, and next thing you know, you're 360 dunking on me. Right. Or you're like, yeah. man, I've never golfed before, never and I'm going to go before. golf. So, like, a novel yeah. task is, like, something known or something just deal. Because if you notice, the best athletes... I have the transfer ability. those skills to any sport. Yeah, and, and, I'm, and I'm sure yeah. in the SEAL teams, I mean, right. you've seen guys who are probably, you know, two left feet, and then you've watched right. other guys do things, and you're like, dude, that guy moves really well. Right. You know, he scales up a wall like right. it's effortless. Right. Right. So we start with there, and then what we do is we break it down into this idea of, you know, primal movement patterns. So the body is really broken up into... And primal versus functional. Any difference there? Uh, primal, to me, is not in, like, the Mark Sisson, mm-hmm. you know, loincloth yeah. running through, throwing. When I think of primal, I think basic. Right. So the body, if we those do, aren't novel, by the way, those you know, the spear has been done. <laughs> no, <before>. that's <laughs> thousands of times. So the idea that if I were to divide my body into X, Y, and Z axis, right, right the lower body, you know, if I were to drive a pin this way, we can hinge, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then if I were to draw one down the top, you can rotate, right. which is like lunging, right. and then obviously if we were to drive one this way, and you start looking at like the, like yeah. the changing the iliac crest mm-hmm. is like a stepping up. Right. So really, just athleticism in terms of ground-based stuff is just the combining of this X, Y, and Z axis, which is the ability to hinge, like with squat. Mm-hmm. step and lunge mm-hmm. and when you watch everything when you watch people move you watch people run change direction in any sport it's just a combination of those three right but the problem is is nobody has a conversation about those right. i mean what does everybody talk about hinging right where the hinge is everything especially in the crossfit land well, hin- crossfit is so linear that the hinge has become dominant well right? it, it's, it's everything so give me something yeah. okay so we have a squat we have a snatch you have a clean you have a wall ball you have a kipping pull up you have a kettlebell swing um what else Box jump, jump, any type of jumping. I mean, everything is this, you know, sagittal linear plane, and Mm -hmm. everything is involves some hinging. And the problem is, is that there isn't a single sport other than being a catcher that involves just hinging. Mm -hmm. And even those guys don't. What do they do? They squat down, they step. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. every sport, if you look at like uh, a linebacker, for example, Mm -hmm. usually sets up in this position, takes a step, lifts, runs, Mm -hmm. and the ability to to seamlessly tie together those X, Y, and Z axis Mm -hmm. is what we know as athleticism. Mm -hmm. And then for an upper body, there's a vertical pull, vertical push, horizontal pull and horizontal push. Mm-hmm. Now you can do other things on the periphery, but those are mm-hmm. combinations of that. Mm-hmm. So when we look at like really seven different movement patterns, now are you proficient enough to learn those seven and then can you learn to put them together? And really that's like teaching somebody to read. Right. Like you start with 
letters. Mm-hmm. You teach words. Words mm-hmm. become sentences. Mm-hmm. Sentences become paragraphs. Paragraphs become books, and books mm-hmm. become novels. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Right. But so we start really there. I mean, based off the universal athletic position, you know, the idea that, you know, the reason we call it the universal athletic position is because from this position, you can... All those axes everything. can engage. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, you think about every sport, right? So what sport am I playing? I could be football. I could be baseball. I could be golf. I can do everything. And you know what? Like we talk about, you know, feet at shoulder width, mm-hmm. knees tracking on the insteps, mm-hmm. toes straight ahead. And that it takes us into why we teach our squat and our hinge with our toes straight ahead, mm-hmm. opposed from a toe open. Mm-hmm. The idea that from this position, I can create internal You've got to launch in some sort of lateral forward movement, mm-hmm. and toes out isn't going to be effective because that. Yeah, you get right. force bleed effect, and right. you end up tearing knees out. Yeah. You watch guys like RG3, you mm-hmm. know, the quarterback for the Redskins. You know, he goes, puts his foot out here, knee wobbles, and he tears his knee out. Mm-hmm. And that all that stuff is small little basic mm-hmm. on teaching movement and just being efficient with teaching this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then being able to go back and teach these movement patterns, and then we teach people so how to So crawl, sprint. walk, run. You give a little whiteboard explaining what you just told us. You know, <laughs> and then we go do it. And then you go start the drills. And then, with, and then we teach drill it. being a letter. Okay, so this yeah. is how you move this, set, this plane, and this is how you move this plane. Push, pull, vertical, horizontal, yeah. and then you put it together into more complex patterns. Mm-hmm. And, and then, and then I, do you actually get sports specific with it in the seminar? Uh, the idea of or do you let them kind of translate that to the Yeah, sport? I let them translate. But I have this idea that if you're big, strong, and fast, and you understand movement, you can universally do all sports. Yeah. You know, yeah. sports is just your body's expression of what you want it to do. Right. The one thing, I had a really interesting deal where a guy asked me once, he's like, well, why do we lift weights? And I was like, well, you know, uh, cervically load the spine, you know, overload the central nervous system, you know. And as I was like riding home on the plane from the seminar, I was like, why do we lift God weights? God damn it, that's a good question. Why do we lift weights? And because re- it's fun. Well, <laughs> that, and because we can, right? That's it. <laughs> and it makes us stronger and harder to kill. But, to quote so Mark Ripto. Four more good reasons. Right? But, but if you think about when you lift weights, what are you doing? You're going from an eccentric, isometric, concentric, different contractions, and you're hopefully traveling through full ranges of motion. Mm-hmm. So let's say we were to take the squat, for example. I set up a bar on my back, and here I am doing this basic primal movement pattern where I squat down and squat back up this mm-hmm. basic hinging. Now, my body's ability to perform this movement is predicated on my body's ability to maintain p- good posture and position through full ranges of motion. Mm-hmm. Right. right. So what do I use? I use external resistance or force, right. like this implement, this bar on my back with round cylinder it's weights. A, it's your truth here. detector. Yeah. Right. And, and you, you load it up until it's a little too heavy, and then what happens? You go down, right. your back breaks, something happens. And so we started looking at lifting weights as this idea of challenging posture and position right. and forcing people through full ranges of movement right. and really seeing who people are. You know, and then instead of you know, waiting to see somebody sprinting as fast as they can down the field and watching them like, run away from you and trying to coach them, we started realizing that if we can challenge posture and position through these different X, Y, and Z axes, then we can effectively make them better and make them stronger. And all things being equal, the stronger athlete is usually the more dominant athlete. Are you ready to start or to reboot your journey toward personal mastery? If so, I'd like to invite you to join me at the fifth annual Unbeatable Mind Retreat in San Diego, California on December 2nd to 4th. For three action-packed days, we're going to be learning and growing from leading wellness, fitness, and leadership experts such as Ben Greenfield, Jesse Itler, Rob Wolf, and Jimmy Chin, among others. The Unbeatable Mind team and I will also work with you on creating an action plan to help set you on the path for achieving breakthroughs in areas such as your health, fitness, relationships, business, finances, and more. You'll also have a chance to learn new skills to refine your physical and mental training with boot camp workouts, Kokoro yoga, breath empowerment, and other activities, including a charity WAD benefiting the Christopher Reeve and our own Courage Foundation. 
Now, last year's event was sold out, so don't wait to register if this excites you. Make 2017 your best year ever by a long shot, and join me at the Unbeatable Mind Retreat. For more information, go to www.retreat.unbeatablemind.com. That's www.retreat.unbeatablemind.com. Hoo-yah. So there have been a few football athletes, exceptional players. I think Bo Jackson was one of them who yeah. never lifted a weight. How do you uh, feel for that? I don't buy it. You don't I, buy I, it? I think Bo Jackson did something. Really? I met Bo Jackson when I was a little kid, and he still to this day never looked like a running back. Mm-hmm. He was about 6'3", about 245, 250 pounds, and probably one of the best athletes to ever walk the earth. So that's just natural Just Yeah, God-given Bill. DNA, but, yeah. I mean, he grew up on a farm. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you, know, you, you look at where well, people— Well, bailing hay is lifting weights. <laughs> Dude, I, I, uh, it's just not metal weight. Yeah. I tell the story uh, years ago I, when I went to the Philadelphia Eagles, we were in minicamp, and we went in the weight room, and everybody's in there like jailhouse scene, trying to like bench as much as I can, lift all these weights, you know, music blaring. And there's this kind of like big country dude in there, barely benching 225. And I'm like, oh, look at this soft ass white dude. And so we go out on the field, and I like see him line up, and I'm like, oh, I got this fucking weak dude next to me. We come off on a double team, and this dude literally hits this dude, like sends a mass over tea kettle. Practically knocks me down. Mm-hmm. And so we go to punch drills, and this dude's hitting me, and it's like putting my hands on my chest. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. he got rocks in his hands? Mm-hmm. So I slid up next to him at, at, at lunch, and I was it's like... all that strongman core strength, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I was like, what gives, dude? You couldn't bench 225, and you're over here crushing people. He's like, oh, you know, deep southern. I said, I really never lifted them weights. But uh, I grew up on a thousand acre hay farm in Georgia, and we used to bale hay, and he's taking me through all this training. And he's like, yeah, you know, we used to do field work. And I was like, and he, he called, and I remember I was like writing it down. I'm like, what's this field work? Because I grew up in, yeah. you know, I, I grew up in the suburbs, dude. Like, you know, the only thing that's, we had to that'd do be was great cross training, wouldn't it? Just go to a farm for. Well, for but a you season? think that's that, like that that's to cool. me is functional training? That is, yeah. Because the term functional training is so fucking bastardized. Yeah. I want to like fucking break it into a million yeah. pieces yeah. because people like have this idea like, what is functional training? Yeah. Something that allows you to function better. Well, would a bicep be functional training? What if it strengthens my brachialis that allows me to do yeah. something else? You know, people assume functional training is done without machines, but to me, functional, you can make an argument for anything to be functional. Right. Now, I think about functional as multi-jointed, multi-planes of motion, like you have to swing a hammer mm-hmm. or do something that provides function. Mm-hmm. Going to the gym and just doing a bunch yeah. of fucking mm-hmm. nonsense right. all day. I mean, and I'm sure, dude, mm-hmm. uh, in, in, uh, and, and you are probably the best proponent, I mean, the, yeah. the best co-signer on this, because yeah. I'm sure you, you were in the SEAL teams when it was like long swim, big bench. Right. And then, you know, when I got brought in to work with the uh, guys from NSW, you know, we started, I, I really saw, like, where the guys were. Mm-hmm. And Andy Stump was like, dude, lift some weights, do a long swim. And, yeah. and, and he goes, run, hey, swim, rinse, yeah. repeat, yeah. and then throw a barbell on your back and try to do a squat, yeah. you know, build bench press. See you tomorrow. You but, but, but then you guys all We, we just sudden, did a lot of that. But, and it was, we were woefully... Uh, it, you weren't prepared. In, unprepared, inadequate. In for, for what was coming from. Right. And then all of a sudden you guys go, you know, post 9-11, which, people breaking, yeah. you know, was the other day. And uh, still to this day, I remember like it was yesterday and it still haunts me. And like the fact that we've been at war for 15 years mm-hmm. with really, uh, you know, without a clear defined enemy of is course, really just. Yeah. As That's a whole separate subject. Fucking. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I'm not going to get off but, on that. You I know, get so back pissed. to this functional but, movement. But, but, I, I grew up, uh, my best friend had a farm. And Where, where'd you grow up? Upstate New York. Okay. So it wasn't like one of these sprawling things. It was a dairy farm, but we bailed hay every, every summer. Yeah. And it's, and my, one of my favorite memories was just spending all day. I mean, I was dumb enough to do it in my tank tops. You know yeah. what I mean? So like, it looked like I came off of the field like a spark. I was just cut up all over the place, burnt, you know, to a crisp. 
but feeling like amazing because for six hours, and we had one of those balers that you know would just you know scoop it up and then roll it in you know square bale about 85 to 90 pounds, and then we'd go chunk, 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 chunk up this conveyor belt. And the top of the conveyor belt was this arm that would just go like this. Whoom, and we're standing in the back in this rickety trailer, and this bale of hay would come like a missile at you. And you're like, incoming, shaboom, right? And would hit you. Catch it, and then you got to stack it and the whole thing, make sure it doesn't fall Dude. over, and get back in line. But there's two of us, right? Back and forth, back and but forth. That's, and the core strength yeah. that that built. Like that type of training awesome. to me, and, and like that, that's where we even developed uh, part of our program is this idea of called, I mean, that's the name of the program, Field Strong. Right. Because cool. I, I wasn't interested in you being weight room strong. I wanted you to be field strong or what we used to call field strong, cock strong. Cool. I mean, dude, that was a big thing when I played guys. It, you know, for me especially, I had a big punch and strong hands because I did this in my training. And they're like, oh, that motherfucker's cock strong. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, field strong, like anything, like, I, I wanted my strength to be useful on the field. Right. I didn't want to be weight room strong. Because I used to see dudes like that. We used to call it, looks like Tarzan played like Jane. Mm-hmm. We used to see these dudes in their bench in like 600, fucking big okay, chest, yeah. everything yeah. come out, and you would hit the dude, and he would crumble into a million little pieces. Right. And well, we, I, had the, we had the same thing with Kokoro with endurance, I mean, and stamina. These guys last about 45 minutes yeah. into a 50-hour training session. and. <laughs> 50 hours, you're like, you're fucked. <laughs> you're done. Exactly. Yeah. You could tell. Look at them. They're yeah. all puffy and they're all just like, oh. Yeah. And they walk like rock and sock and robot and then they get on the pull up bar and they're like, Ur, Ur. they do four reps. They do four reps. Or, or, <laughs> or they do 10 and then they come out and you're like, get up and get some more and they, they get can't do it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but it's, it's uh, we used to see that all the time. And then, you know, the other thing too, especially playing football, is, you know, you have to be willing to use your body as a weapon. And you have to right. be, and the way I kind of, you know, from when I fought when I was younger, I looked at it like, uh, I was always a Mike Tyson fan. Mm-hmm. So my ideal for playing football was I was going to try to go in early. I was going to try to hurt people and I was going to land a lot of big blows early and try to get people to quit. And that was, and I was telling guy, one guy the other day, I was like, dude, 95% of the games that I played, dudes quit because <laughs> I would hurt them early. Okay. And those 5% are the ones that probably are the mileage on my brain. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so it was a, it was a fun game. I, I really enjoyed the game of football, which was ironic that you guys busted out the football, I, I could give two shits about the game. What I liked was the one-on-one fighting. I liked the mm-hmm. battle. I liked the combat. I liked the fact that I get to get strapped up and get to wear my name on my back of my jersey and mm-hmm. get to go out and whoop a dude's ass for three hours and then got paid money for it. It really is the American gladiator sport, you know. What, what about the team, you know, this back, back to football because it's interesting to me, but because we do a lot of, you know, SEAL, it's a team sport, mm-hmm. just like the Navy SEAL teams. And I don't see a lot of great teaming in professional sports and, and in, in particular football and did, did, was that your experience or did you have a good sense of being on a team team that supported each other did you feel that that real camaraderie or were you kind of a bunch of guys out for themselves and playing hmm. a game um, i was really fortunate i played on offensive lines mm-hmm. so as an offensive lineman you play with a unit because you play with five guys so that's your subunit and yeah. you guys okay and that's my team. It's like your fire team. My, my, offensive line, oh, my offensive line was my unit. Those mm-hmm. are the guys that I would go fight with. Uh, mm-hmm. The other people on the team, I could give. I, I wasn't really overly worried with them. Mm-hmm. And, I and I knew... So you have all these little individual units kind yeah. of doing their own thing, and the coach holds them together, basically. Well, the idea like is that everybody wants to come to... You know, the idea that you're a bunch of little robots that come together to form Voltron so you can go yeah. out and beat everybody, and then we win. And the reason everybody wants to win is uh, the facility and the environment when you're winning is one of happiness and joy. A losing team 
is a bad team to be on. It's misery because coaches are paranoid. People are this. Everybody's looking and like, like it, it, it's literally like, 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 like the, the Western movies, you know, when like, you know, the guy walks in and everybody's having a great time at a party in a town hall or post when the one they walk in and everybody's hats low and they're getting mm-hmm. ready to get in a gunfight. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you want to win because you want a good environment and winning leads to more pay and mm-hmm. better benefits. And everybody has a great experience when you win, mm-hmm. when you lose, it's not good. No. So I got to ask you advice on something. I've been, uh, I mentioned earlier, I got asked to come speak to the Rams. Mm-hmm. Now, it's going to be in December, so mm-hmm. they've got some time to, to work on their game. But uh, they just moved back to L.A., a lot yeah. of you know, fanfare around sure. that. And they got their asses handed. They got shut out in their first game against San Francisco. So you know, what you're uh, saying is the, the environment uh, in that locker room is probably not good right now. Uh, one, I don't watch football until later in the year, and I don't okay. know if I'm going to watch football this year. Okay. And that's so it doesn't of, so much matter what happens in this, this uh, early season? No, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that. But just for me personally, uh, it's kind of my silent protest. Mm-hmm. To one, I don't think that the NFL is doing the things that they need to do. Okay. To one, take care of the players. And I, I, I don't think that they're holding up the standard of which they need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that, uh, you know, and I, I could say, you know, Colin Kaepernick has the right as an American, his First Amendment speech, and I believe everybody has the right to free speech, you know, with his, you know, silent protest or, you know, mm. kneeling and sitting. But to me, um, it's disrespectful. Yeah, it's, it's, especially on 9-11 for the men and women that mm-hmm. we lost and the fact that we've been in war for 15 years mm-hmm. and we've had people. Now, <laughs> you can make an argument on whether or not we were over there supportive, support, you know, uh, defending freedom mm-hmm. for people. But, you know, that's I mean, the political side. Yeah, but but, but, hell, the, but, hell or but high the water. troops were doing yeah. were serving their country and, and serving and, him. And they went over and right. I've had friends and you have many more that have lost their lives. Absolutely. And in this conflict. And I look at like you know, that the American flag and 9-11 is kind of a hallowed ground. And, um, you know, I mean, dude, it's, I remember like it's yesterday. And um, the fact that the NFL didn't say anything, but yet they didn't allow the Dallas Cowboys to wear something on their helmets to remember those officers that were killed, just goes to show the hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't really think I'm going to watch it. <clears throat> uh, maybe I'll watch it a little bit towards the end of the year, but it's part of my silent protest. Right. And, um, you know, I don't like the way the NFL has treated the ex-players. I don't like the way that they, you know, have done a lot of things and um, it's a media company and it's a PR company and I think they're going to cut their own throats based on this shit and yeah. you know I'm, I'm just really disappointed in the way it's all being handled yeah. and uh, well, anytime you know, bi- you know money gets that big and, and the system gets that big and you can even say the military is this way like when you're done with the military, it's like, don't let the door hit you in the ass. Well, it's the NFL. Like, you're done. Yeah, you know I, mean, I mean, no, nobody gives a they, shit they, and you have to fight for benefits and yeah. it's, it's really crazy. Well, but I mean, uh, isn't that wrong? It's wrong. I like, it's uh, wrong, yeah. like uh, you serve your country for twenty years, or serve the take NFL care of your for people. 10. Take care of your people. Yeah, in take, and out. take, yeah, take, take care. Like, I mean, they, they're like, a big part of the family. They're the elders, or, right? But, uh, so you want to engage them and keep them safe. And but healthy. I mean, you've asked people to do this for you, and they've right. joined up and they've made this happen, and you don't take care of your people. Yeah. To me, I don't understand that, yeah. and 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 I don't understand that mentality. And like the fact that this country doesn't take care of our vets, to me, is. That's a problem. Yeah. No, it, it's a huge fucking problem. And, yeah. uh, but yet we Except have. Here, here's what I say to that. The country is beginning to, but yes. it's people like you and me and, and Rob and others are starting all these foundations, like well, Spec Ops Warrior Foundation, Navy SEAL Foundation, and countless others. So, so the average citizen has, has identified the gap and is you know, stepping into the breach well, I mean, because the system has failed yeah. them. That, that's exactly it. it, it it's almost like uh, the bureaucracy, and you know this from the military, the bureaucracy is so big, it's too big. That, that they don't know. I mean, the, the, the one I always love was the fact that uh, September 10th, 2001, Donald Rumsfeld gets up and gives a whole deal about how they lost, what was it, 2.5 or $2.7 trillion. The DOD misplaced it. Mm. 
and then 2011, you know, the next day, a uh, plane hits the Pentagon and hits that office, you know? <laughs> like, and then nobody oh, ever shit. talked about that. Right, I mean, dude, there's so much... End of story. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like, to me, like, there's... People should hold themselves higher. And I, I realize you have a guy like Colin Kaepernick and these other guys that, you know, are trying to find a way to bring notice to what they feel is oppression and maybe people aren't being treated equal. And, um, you know, whether or not that is or, you know, or isn't, there has to be a measure for when it's accomplished. Like they asked him, okay, what do you hope to accomplish by this? You know, what would make you not do this? And he had no answer. He doesn't know why he's doing this. The only thing it could do is bring attention to himself in a negative way and have a lot of people like you and me who said that was extremely disrespectful. Yeah. And if you can't disrespect, if you can't respect other people, then how can you respect yourself? Yeah. And so what are you saying? That you're a disrespectful human being. That's what I, that's what I took out of that. And, uh, and I know he's trying to make a point, but you know, the choice, the decision of how to make that point was the the picture of him kneeling with in front of like the soldiers holding the flag is I was like, come on, dude. Like, like one of the most important days for us is when those, you know, like, I don't know if you've been at an NFL game, but they would used to fly the jets real low over Mm -hmm. and like the flag and the national anthem. Like that was what was part of that. That was part of the deal. Right. Like that's, you know, I mean, it's, if it's America's game and you're taking part of it, then you need to be taking part of it. Yeah. And, you know, guys have this great opportunity to get to put this platform in, you know, you're multimillion dollars, you're on TV, you have this platform, people are going to listen to you and they're going to listen to you because you're doing this job, not because you are incredibly insightful, intelligent, mm-hmm. or have something to say. You know, yeah. they're, they're going to listen to you because you, you just can hit do on something. probably one of the biggest challenges, the biggest problems is that there's so much money and, it's, and there's so much media attention on the individual players that now... You know, for a lot of these players, and I don't put you in this category, it's really about them. Yeah. Right? This is about them. And so they're on the world stage. You know, my fans are out there, right? Uh, And it's not about serving. You know, to me, it's about the fans and it's about what football represents, uh, you know, to the country. For for me, like, and I I talked about Individual athletes are important, but they're just like me and the SEAL team. I'm just cogging a wheel. I'm a number. You know what I mean? It's not about me. No, and, but they also have to remember it's fucking entertainment. Right. Yeah. Like, um, I, I, I used to get pissed off when guys would get up and try to give war analogies. I'd be like, dude, nobody's going to war here. Nobody's dying. It's disrespectful. Right. We're going out here to play a game. I'm putting on white spandex, and I'm going to go out there and fight with another dude in white spandex for three hours <laughs> while a bunch of dudes get fucking hammered and eat hot dogs. Right? And, 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 like, and that's all it is. That's great. I never made any illusions about what I did. What I liked about my job is I got to go out and heavyweight fight a dude for three hours right. and that, try to beat his ass. And that's it. That. And like, uh, you know, people always ask me like different rules like this and be like, I'm the worst person to ask because I just didn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. You know, my deal was like straight ahead. I understood angles. I understood pursuit. I went where the ball was and I needed to be to be able to effectively do my job and be good at it. Mm-hmm. And that's all I cared about. Right. You know, it, it was never about the money. It was never about the notoriety. It was never about any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. It was about knowing exactly how good or bad I was each single day in front, you know, in, in, in the biggest stage that I could find to do it. Right. And, um, you know, I mean, and, and, you know, when it's over, uh, I think part of the reason why I didn't have PTSD or any of this other stuff, because I was like, it's over, time to go do something else, time to reinvent myself. Mm-hmm. And you know what, I have a lot more, a long life, and I didn't want to parasite off of the game. You know, most guys, what do they end up doing? I'm an announcer now, and I'm going to talk about this shit, that the same shit I was doing for all these years. Mm-hmm. And you're like, and now people know you for what you did in your 20s, and you're in your 50s or 60s, and you never reinvent yourself. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go out and do something new. I wanted to prove that I could do something more mm-hmm. and contribute it in a different way mm-hmm. and talk about, you know, my knowledge. I mean, yeah, it just, I really enjoyed the time I did, but, uh, you know, taking a bigger step back, I look at it, and there's a lot of shit that's wrong. And um, mm-hmm. unfortunately, the money is so big and uh, the egos are so big that nobody will really point it out and talk about it. Yeah, yeah. 
So now you can actually make an impact in the world, training athletes, you know, inspiring young athletes and coaches. What's next for you? Like, what's the big version of John Wellborn going to be doing in five years or ten years? You know, really, when, what when we you did, grow up? Oh, when I grow up, yeah. yeah. You know, for me, what we do at Power Athlete is really the embodiment of what I want to do. Okay. Um, you know, which is the idea of performance training. Um, you know, mm-hmm. at a high level, not just gimmicks and bullshit, but actually, mm-hmm. and actually, actually, one of our taglines is "Battle the Bullshit," because mm-hmm. there's a lot of nonsense. I mean, I can only imagine. Mm-hmm. You know, every you know, seal opportunity they can. I mean, we still joke about the only reason the perfect push-up sold was because it was invented by a Navy SEAL. Absolutely. Would they have sold those? No. You attach Navy SEAL to anything, it'll sell. Right. And I remember, uh, you know, Andy Stumpf and those guys are all good friends of mine. I remember meeting these guys who were SEALs, and I was like, you guys are more similar to my dipshit friends than you are anybody else's dipshit friends. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was type A personalities, you know, right. certain reckless guys that wanted to go out and train and do something. Mm-hmm. It just so happened they got to play with explosives, and I didn't, right. you know. But I would think that what we do in Power Athlete, and more importantly, educating people on a good performance training that's not really based off of dogma, that's based off of this idea of, you know, hey, we're going to increase athleticism, and we're, mm-hmm. we've broken it down, we understand it, and now we've got to mm-hmm. go back and put some good training together for it. Right. And do you um, have a nutrition component to that? Yeah. My biggest thing with nutrition is don't be weird. Mm-hmm. If you feel yourself getting weird pull yourself back, mm-hmm. uh, eat real foods. You think the zone diet is weird? Uh, yeah, it's obsessive. Yeah. I, I, I think when you get down to the pond where you're counting out almonds <laughs> and you know, you're like, you know, put your hamburger patty, you're like, oh, you know, like I, I, I think people given the opportunity to get weird, people will go fucking weird. Oh yeah. I, I mean, dude, yeah. with nutrition, with training and this, and I got socks and gear and all this shit, like people go deep and we tell people all the time, I'm like, let me just pull you back from the light. Mm-hmm. Like be normal. Mm-hmm. You know, like train hard, eat some food. You want to have some ice cream? Don't sweat, sweat about it. Mm-hmm. If your buddy offers you a beer, have one. Yeah. But at the end of the yeah, day, we, we like, share that philosophy. We call yeah. it the 80-20 rule. Yeah. Like, just like do what you know what you know you need to do 80 yeah. of the time, and then yeah. 20 percent who gives a shit. Yeah, yeah. base all your stuff around protein. Eat some carbs. Yeah. Eat some fat. I mean, um, you know, make everything like iso. Like we're we're big on the isochloric, which is just balance. Mm-hmm. You know, just 33, 33, 33. Just make sure you have a balanced diet. Mm-hmm. Eat enough food to sustain activity. If you need to put on weight, you're gonna have to eat more. If you, you know, uh, what do you? think about ketogenesis uh all the d'agostino uh, stuff keto diets i believe have are a tool in the toolbox um i think for you know for longevity and cancer and a lot of the things that dom d'agostino is Mm -hmm. talking about are really good and i think for cancer research i think it's even more exciting alzheimer's and different things and i think starve the cancer out right yeah And, and i think as people get older i think you need less and less carbohydrate I think the diet that my kids eat is not the diet I should be eating, just like the training program that I should do isn't the one that you should do or he should do or he should do. Everybody has a unique deal because they're all in a unique life cycle. And Mm -hmm. we call like different levels of exposure. The amateur isn't going to do the professional stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you can relate it to rock climbing or shooting. You know, if Mm -hmm. you're teaching somebody just to like, you know, sight picture opposed Mm -hmm. from somebody, you know, shooting with a, you know, timer, a shot timer Mm -hmm. or doing something more advanced or, you know, um, you know, Andy Stumpf was, you know, does the wingsuits. You know, I mean, how many jumps did he have? before he got into wingsuit. Yeah, thousands. Yeah. And I, I mean, best in the world at what he does, and here's he's doing it. It's not like he all of a sudden jumped out of a plane and was like, give me a fucking wingsuit. Yeah. Like, same thing with, I think, diet, that there's going to be some, what I call, periodization of dieting. You know, you watch like little kids, they tend to like carbs. Mm-hmm. And you try to force them to eat protein, and you kind of try to balance it out. Mm-hmm. And then I think as you get older, I think you just need less and less carb, and I've found that for myself. Yeah, I agree. And I tend to eat less. I tend to eat the majority of my carbohydrate around training, and then as the day goes on and I get farther away from the training, I just eat less carb. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, protein's important. I think fats are important. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, eat real foods. And, right. you know, I mean, nobody ever got strong from eating out of a vending machine. 
Right. And don't be a fucking weirdo. A lot weirdo. of people have tried, though. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> no, has. No, I agree with that. It can be really overcomplicated. You know, what your summation is spot on. Like, eat, eat real food. Eat when, you, when you're hungry. Yeah. Right? Eat enough protein and fat to, to fuel your, uh, but, but, I mean, don't, don't, fuel your recovery. And don't you think that's how people make money, though? Yeah. It's by complicating shit. Yeah, absolutely. Like, simple doesn't sell. Because you, if you make, like, I got this, like, 70-level multi-tiered system that you have to go through, and people are like, oh, fucking geek out on this. Mm-hmm. This is something that sells. Right. If you're, you know, and we always joke that, uh, you know, uh, do a little bit more than you did yesterday, eat some real food, sleep a bunch, you know, like the basic requirements right. for life. Yeah, it's like five things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> for excellence. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, like sleep enough, right. you know, you know, train, eat, uh, drink some water and, uh, and laugh. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, and, and have a sense of humor. Right. And like, don't take shit too seriously because right. you realize on the gl- grand scheme of things, we are here but for just a yeah. like fraction of a moment. Right. Right. And yet people, you know. And every day counts. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, you, you can't get it back. You it's like putting it, it in the bank. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I agree with that. A couple more things, and then we got to probably wrap this up. But um, do you see any besides like the power dot? Any promising technologies coming online? Like I, I've been talking a lot about personalized nutrition, mm-hmm. and you know, I think in a few years we're going to have like an artificial coach. Like, are we, you worried we, about being replaced by or enhanced no. by artificial technology and artificial intelligence? We do that. What I realized is that the body is the most complex organism, you know, computer on the planet. We get mm-hmm. no instructions. Right. So I think people need some guidance. They need some instructions like, hey, you know, we're going to, you know, help you with your training. We're going to show you how to train. You know, we have some diet coaching where it's more mentoring, where it's like, hey, this is what I want you to eat. But I'm not trying to get you dependent upon me. I want you to mm-hmm. learn how to eat and what works best for you. And some people might not work and we keep changing until we find what works because no, not everybody's the same. Mm-hmm. You know, not every training program is the same. Mm-hmm. So I don't really worry about that stuff. I mean, what I really kind of think about is as we've been inundated with more and more media, more and more social contacts, social touch points, more and more information, people have no ability to disseminate what's right. good and bad. Right. All they can know is what's brightest and the loudest screaming in front of them. Mm-hmm. If I can pay X amount of dollars to make sure that every time they open their phone, this fucking nonsense pops out. Mm-hmm. That's what people are going to know. Cause not a lot of, I mean, unfortunately we've been so, so inundated with media and, and you know, noise that people have no ability to disseminate what's good and bad. It's actually, it changes your brain. So you lose the ability to focus, to discern the truth. Yeah. Right. And so not only does it keep you distracted, so you can't, you don't have the time to find the truth, but you learn, you lose the ability to go deep. Isn't that so, interesting? So the dude, research is finally coming out about well, I mean, how, all, how the brain has changed. So do you, do you remember when cell phones came out? You used to see people all the time on the phone, yeah. and you would hear phone rings. Right. When was the last time you heard a phone ring? No <laughs> more. Right? Do you know That's why? pretty rare, yeah. Yeah, because you know why? Every, every, email, well, yeah. everybody's on silent, and people check their phones so much that they don't really ever have to get a notification. That right. was something I noticed. Like, I was, uh, I was somewhere... And all these people were like, we were sitting at, at dinner with our kids and like, we don't, you know, we try to abstain from technology unless right. it's a long plane flight. Mm-hmm. And we bring coloring books and I like color with my kids. And so we were sitting around and we were like coloring something and I like looked and every single person, there was like five people at the table, nobody talking, just face buried in the yeah. phone. Yeah, I see that all and the I'm time. like, this is what we become more interested in what's happening somewhere else in our own moment. Mm-hmm. And people aren't present anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of why, um, you know, I mean, I guess people really get very good at living vicariously. And maybe that's why things like the NFL are, mm-hmm. are, are so popular because now I can distract myself from what I'm doing and I can live vicariously through the Colin Kaepernick's or different people that are doing this game and doing something I wish I could do. Well, the same thing has happened with the SEAL community. Now people are living vicariously through act, you know, act of valor. Yeah. 
you know, all the different movies. Yeah. We, we did a, some work with a uh, new TV show called Six, which is going to be a, a TV show about SEAL Team Six. And oh. we were like, okay, so we'll train these guys. What, what happened they, to the, the, the quiet profession? I know, exactly. Well, we're yeah. all asking that. And, and uh, you know, I'm in a little awkward position because I'm, I'm training SEAL candidates. Mm -hmm. And these guys come to me and say, hey, you know, it was a Navy SEAL friend of mine from Team 3 who was the technical advisor. He's like, Mark, we don't want to fuck it up. We don't want these guys to go out there and, and look like slipknots. So can you put them through like a five-day Buds and Hell Week experience? Sure, in five days I can <laughs> exactly. get these guys. To... <laughs> I said, well, what do you want me to do in five days? You're like, well, I need you, well, you're like I'm going to need a bottle of tequila. I'm going to need a, uh, right. a tub of ice. Oh, yeah, and I'm going to exactly. need a, a, a bunch of hot pokers. And, uh, <laughs> and then I'm going to need some uh, uh, obsessive-compulsive uh, right. uh, personality we flawed people. Look, so I'm going to keep, gonna, keep yeah, the don't tequila worry. and the hot pokers <laughs> yeah, coming. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, it, it had an impact on them, but of course... My point is that now, you know, the, the, the public is watching America's most elite and secret yep. force on TV. And now it's not exactly the same thing. Obviously, there's yeah. a, it's, it's TV, you know, but um, well, I mean, what does that mean as a culture? I don't know. It's hard. It's, I don't know. Well, yeah. And a lot of SEALs aren't happy about it. In the, the well, I mean, the, you know, when, when I got uh, brought in to work with the SEAL teams, I mean, there was a big thing. You sit the briefs and they talk mm -hmm. about, you know, the choir professional, mm -hmm. you know. Be the guy, you know, be the gray man in a lot of ways. Don't be the guy over there screaming and yelling mm -hmm. like what you do. And I think that there was a, you know, maybe for a different generation that was the effect. Yeah. But then all of a sudden you get in this Hollywood deal yeah. and, you know, guys have sold it's, out. It's the way our whole culture has been affected by media. It's affecting, like, hey, I'm Snapchatting. Yeah, it's <laughs> affected TV. Now, this, now everyone's on social media yeah. and everyone wants to be a Look star. Have well, a five everybody can be a star. Every, yeah, so, it's, the, so like, it's the me me tube well, generation, right? I, I trip so, out all the time when, when I see things, and I'm like, dude, this person's got a million followers on Instagram, and I'm like, why? Why exactly? And you're like, no idea. I mean, you're like, okay, they only, you know, are they posting semi naked pictures? Like, are they doing something interesting? And I'm like, it's just like I, I just, I mean, I, I get it, but I just kind of hope that this thing called the internet's a fad and it ends like pockets and sandwiches and shit. It just goes out. Um, and I hope we have to get back to the point where like, you know, I mean, th think about it today. I, I got a fucking bitchy email from somebody and I read the email and as I went to compose it, uh, response, which was equally as cunty, uh, I stopped and I picked up the phone and I called the person Yeah, and I was like, Hey, what's happening? Hey, nothing. Everything's going great. Hey, I'm reading your email. Oh yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Well, uh, you know this, totally different person. Right. Completely got e this thing. Email is dangerous, man. Instead of escalating this. torched more relationships. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah, and I and like, I, I was literally to go like <laughs> thermonuclear, you know, fucking right. hit the button. And I was like, you know what? I don't know about you. For, two things have happened with me with email. One is I've, I've taken to like, if I can keep my response to two words, <laughs> that's ideal. You just send K? Yeah, I do. I send K. Okay. Or Roger that. Oh, yeah. Or, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Or a smiley face, even. Excited. Yeah, exactly. like, like, I keep it to, like, as <laughs> short as I possibly can, uh, which, as you know, is, is challenging because well, there's a lot, all the stuff that you want to say, you've got to leave out. It's also strangely passive aggressive. If I get, some, <laughs> it could if, be, yeah, if, exactly. if I get somebody that one word response me, I'll be like, this motherfucker. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to one letter him response but, him. But you with, can like, pick up the why. phone and call. Yeah, right? I'll, I'll, yeah, wow. I mean, and, and, and the other thing I've done, I, I've started to hit the delete button quite a bit. So we have, and a now I'm basically going to have my assistant handle all my email. So we have a company yeah. policy. If you ever get in that situation, write the email. And then delete it. Then delete it. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and we call, and, yeah. and and it's it happens all the time. I'll see uh, Luke or the guys that work for me over there just fucking hammering. I'll be like, I'll look over <laughs> and, and, and oh, I'm so pissed. And then it'll be like, ah, 
delete. I'll be like, did you delete it? He's like, yeah, I was a doozy. And I mean, it happens all the time. And because people, uh, through email, social media, all, all this other stuff, they, uh, they lose any semblance of civility. Civility, yeah. or more importantly, like perception that this is another human being that has, you know, everybody's just this fucking blank screen robot. And they don't have any perception of right and wrong and this. And it's just, it's the fucking internet. And, um, you know, and, and I think, like, I want an app that if you're a dick, the app opens up and gets you fucking punched straight in the face. It's going to be called Face Punch. And, like, all of a sudden, you're going to, like, open and a punch. Fa- virtual reality, come we could probably do that. it's going to sock you in the face. You're going to be like, oh. And then, and then it's going to be like, you were a dick here. And you're going to be like, oh, I was a fucking dick. Let me get punched in the face. You know, and then you're going to see somebody that's all bloodied up. And you're going to be like, hey, you need to, like, you know. But I don't know. I, um. I, I hope as things go up, there's like a backlash, like we've gone here and then there'll be some form of correction over yeah, here. I think That's so. what I hope. You know, I think it's generational. We're, just, we're going through a very, very troubling time right now. A lot of systems, everything's breaking down. Yeah. And um, I, I, the uh, Chinese, you know, uh, what, what is it, the proverb, may you live in interesting may, times, may is, and we joke about it because I always said it like it was a positive, may you live yeah. in interesting times, yeah. and it's not. It's not a positive. It's yeah. like it's not a positive. It's actually a negative. Yeah. Uh, we are in interesting, interesting times, times right now. And, and it's like may you live in, and the, the idea is that may you live in quiet, yeah. peaceful, gentle times where you're, you, know, you can watch your kids run in open fields yeah. and drink from the stream, yeah. opposed from interesting times where... You know, you, you I like, think most people don't really recognize that the last like thirty and forty years have been one of the most peaceful and prosperous times in history. It's the reason like, they call the baby. Uh, history. I, I, I tell right. my dad all the time, he's a baby boomer. The best generation. Best generation. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm like, and that's you, changing rapidly, and so a lot of people aren't equipped to deal with it. That's one of the reasons, you know, my my mental toughness training is taking off. Is like there are people out there who just haven't had. And had anything well, it, tough in their lives, and now they're like, I don't know what to do. I it's need because help. Because we don't force people to do things, right? Like, like uh, I remember somebody asked me about mental toughness, and um, you know, I never really thought of much about being mentally tough. It just seemed like a whole bunch of little not quitting. Yeah, you know, like I just that's never lot, quit anything. That's a big part of it. Yeah. yeah, and and they and they were like, and I was like, if you don't ever really quit anything, then quitting's never really an option. Right. And it's just you know, but you start at a young age of not quitting. It's just like a muscle, you develop yeah. it, and pretty soon it becomes yeah. a non-option. Or you yeah, know. it's just it's just a whole bunch of little not quittings. And then and then all of a sudden you get to the point, and like you know, like it, it's kind of like uh, years ago somebody asked me about training, and I gave them a really kind of on the you know pulled this analogy out of my ass. I was like, can you imagine if our settlers had landed on the west coast and not the east coast? Like, what do you think? I'm like, well, think about the settlers. Like, the people who were on the East Coast, they started out in wagons and they just were heading west. And they walked and they were tough and the plains and the whole deal and the streams and they got through. And then they got to the mountains mm-hmm. and they had that fight up the, you know, the uh, yeah, right. Sierras. If right. they had started here, they would have quit at the mountains. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They would have been like, fuck, I, I got 2,000 miles by me. I've been walking for six I'm gonna go months. I'm going to go this way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but like, they got to it and those people were probably like, Fuck it, let's go. Right. Opposed from if the mountains were here, they probably would have been like, ah, oh, let's go back to the beach. <laughs> you know, but like that's a lot like training. It's a lot like yeah. life. Like you get like small little things, and mm-hmm. it's things that I try to teach with my kids. I, I have three kids, and you know, my daughter's like, you know, well, why do we have to do this? And I'm like, because you know, shit can't be easy for you. Mm-hmm. If I did everything for you, everything was easy, then you know, what, what would you learn? What happens when you have little kids? What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Just going to pick up the phone and call somebody? Mm-hmm. So it's weird. Yeah. Cool. Well, we've been going for a little time here. Kind of wrap up. Um, where can people find information about Power Athlete and what, what you're doing? Yeah, you can just Google Power Athlete. Uh, Power Athlete HQ is the, is the URL. You can okay. find me, John Wellborn, if you put in. And we have a charity, Wade's Army. Uh, oh, cool. Actually, we started a charity a couple years ago for based on neuroblastoma, mm-hmm. which is actually the largest killer cancer of, of children. 
Really? And okay. uh, severely underfunded to the point where, like, in the last 30 years, they've come out with hundreds of cancer drugs and only three for kids. And um, it's really, really underfunded, and that's not a lot, a lot of, is known about it. And so we started a charity in memory of a little boy named Wade DeBrun, passed away. He was my wife's best friend's little boy. And okay. he passed away when he was, you know, less than two years old from neuroblastoma. And the hard part, or the part that really got us motivated, he was a twin and left his twin sister, and I have twin girls. So mm. uh, when that, and while my wife was pregnant, this whole thing was happening out. And then we, you know, when he passed away, my wife said, can we do something? And I was like, so I, I, I do graphic design. I sat down and did it, built a t-shirt. And uh, we printed the t-shirts and sold them. And we raised like 10 grand the first year. And then we raised 50. And then we raised 100. And we actually fund cancer research, okay. different things. And we actually help families that needs money because there's only three or four places around the country that actually treat these kids with neuroblastoma. So these hmm. parents might be in Washington and the only place that treats them is in Cincinnati. So these parents have to move out there and a lot of times leave their jobs. And so we end up doing right. some funding. Like we just bought a minivan for a family whose child is in a wheelchair from hmm. neuroblastoma and they needed a bigger vehicle and they moved from like Alaska for a retreatment mm-hmm, deal. Mm-hmm. So we got them a minivan and uh, we've been doing that. No, and um, we have a big t-shirt drive and we're doing stuff right now. So you can find us at Wade's Army and um, you can find me on social media. John Welborn, uh, you know, if you can't find me, you're not looking hard. So <laughs> Roger that. And, we, and we, we have a podcast called Power Athlete Radio, which I'd love to get you on. Yeah, I'd love to And talk about a, a lot of these things. So okay. thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thank you, John. Really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Ooh, yeah. And if you're watching this video, don't go away because uh, John's going to put some of the boys through a few drills, I think. Right? Let's do it. All right, cool. Cool. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, great stuff. Thank you very much. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.